0: Ashley Brock, reading Nora Roberts' book, Rising Tide, Chapter One. Got us some nice peelers here, Captain. Jim Bodine curled crabs from the pot, tossing the market of catch in the tank. He didn't mind the snapping claws and had the scars on his thick hands to prove it. He wore the traditional gloves of his profession, but as a waterman could tell you, they wore out quick, and if there was a hole in them, by God, a craft would find him. He worked steadily, his legs braced wide for balance on the rockety boat, his dark eyes squirting in a face weathered with age and sun and living. He might have been taken for fifty or eighty, and Jim didn't much care which end you stuck him in. He always called Ethan Captain, rarely said more than one Dalek sentence at a time. He sent an altered course with the next next his right hand nudging the steering stick, most watermen used rather than a wheel. At the same time, he operated the throttle and gear levels with his left. There was constant small adjustments to be made with every foot or progress up the line of traps. The Chesapeake Bay could be generous when she chose, but she liked to be tricky and make your work for her bounty. Ethan knew the bay as well as he knew himself. Often he thought he knew it better. The fickle moods and movements of the continent's largest astoria. For two hundred miles, it flowed from north to south, and it measured only four miles across, where it brushed by Annapolis and thirty at the month of the Potomac River. St. Christopher sat snug on Maryland's southern eastern shore, depending on its generosity, cursing it for its caprices, Ethan's water, his own waters. Were edged with marshland, strung with flatland rivers with sharp shoulders that shimmied through thickets of gum and oak. It was a world of tidal creeks and sudden shallows where wild celery and water was grass rooted. It had become his world with its changing seasons, sudden storms, and always, always the sounds and scents of the water. Timing it, he grabbed his and pole and in practice motion, as smooth as a dance, hooked the pot line and drew it into the pot pool. In seconds the pot rose out of the water, streaming with weed and pieces of old bait and crowded with crabs. Saw the bright red pincers of the full grown females, or sooks and the scrolling eyes of the Jimmies. Right smarter crabs was all Jim had to say as he went to work, even the pot aboard as it weighed ounces rather than pounds. The water was rough today, and Ethan could smell a storm coming in. He worked the controls with his knees when he needed his hands for other tasks, and eyed the clouds beginning to boil together in the far western sky. Time enough, he judged, to move down the line of traps in the gut of the bay to see how many crabs had crawled into the pots. He knew Jim was hurting some for cash, and he needed all he could come by himself to flip the fledging boat-building business he and his brothers had started. Time enough, he thought again, as Jim rebated a pot with thawing fish parts and tossed it overboard, and leapfrog fashion, eat the gap to the next buoy. Ethan slipped Chesapeake Bay retriever Simon stood front paws on the goal wing, tongue lolling like his master. He was rarely happier than when out on the water. They worked in tandem and in near silence, communicating with grunts, shrugs, and the occasional oath. The work was a comfort, since the crabs were plentiful. There were years when they weren't. Years when it seemed the winter had killed them all, or the waters had, would never warm up enough to tempt them to swim. In those years, the watermen suffered unless they had another source of income. Ethan intended to have one building boats. first boat by Quinn was nearly finished, and a little beauty it was. Ethan thought Cameron had a second client on the line, some rich guy from Cam's racing days, so they would start another before long. Ethan never doubted that his brother would reel the money in. They'd do it, he told himself. However doubtful and full of complaints Philip was, glanced up at the sun, gauge the time, and the clouds sailing slowly, me, We'll take them in, Jim. It been eight hours on the water, a short day, but Jim didn't complain. He knew it wasn't so much the oncoming storm that had heathon caught and the boat back up the gut. Boy Boy home from school by now, he said, Yeah and Though Seth was self-sufficient enough to stay home alone for a time in the afternoon, Ethan didn't like to tempt fate. A boy of ten, with Seth's temperament, was a magnet for trouble. When Cam returned from Europe in a couple of weeks, they would juggle Seth between them, but for now, the boy was Ethan's responsibility. The water in the bay kicked, turning gut-metal gray in outer mirror of the sky. But neither man nor dog worried about the rocky ride Ride as the boat crept up the staple. Fronts of the waves and slid back down into the troughs. Simon stood at the bow now, head lifted, his ears well back in the wind, grinning his doggy grin. Ethan had bit the work boat himself, and he knew she would do. As confident as the dog, Jim moved to the protection of the awing and cupping his hands and lit a cigarette. The waterfront of St. Chris was alive with tourists. The early days of June lured them out of the city. Tempted them to drive from the suburbs of D.C. and Baltimore. He imagined they thought of the little town of St. Christopher as quaint, when it, with its narrow streets and clapboard houses and tiny shops. They liked to watch the crab pickers' fingers fly and eat the flaky crab cakes, but tell their friends they had a bowl of she-crab soup they stay in the bed and breakfasts. St. Christmas was the proud home of no less than four, and they'd spend their money in the restaurants and gift shops. Ethan didn't mind them. During the times when the bay was stingy, tourists kept the town alive, and he thought there would come a time when some of those tourists might decide that, that having a hand-built wooden sailboat was their heart's desire. The wind picked up as Ethan moored at the dock. Jim jumped nimbly out to secure the lines, his short legs and squat body giving him the look of a leaping frog wearing white rubber boots and a grease-smeared gimme cap. At Ethan's careless hand signal, Simon plopped his butt down and stayed in the boat while the men worked to unload the day's catch, and the wind made the boat's sun-faded green, awing dance. Ethan watched Pete Monroe walk through them, his iron-gray hair crushed under a battered bald-billed hat, the stocked body, outfitted in baggy khakis and a red trigger shirt, Good catch today. Ethan. Ethan smiled. He liked Mister Monroe well enough. The man had a bone-deep stingy streak. He ran Monroe's crab house with a tightly closed fist. But, it's, but as far as Ethan can tell, every man's son who ran a picketing plant complained about profits. Ethan pushed his own cap back, scratched the nap of his neck where sweat damp. He drew, had had was good enough. You're in early today. Storm's coming. Monroe nodded. Already, his crab pickers, who had been working under the shade of stripped all wings, were preparing to move inside. Rain would drive the tourists inside as well. He knew to drink coffee and eat ice cream Sundays. Since he was half owner of the Bayside Eats, he didn't mind. Looks like he got about 70 bushels there. Ethan let his smile wide. Some might have said that there was a hint of a pirate in the look. Ethan wouldn't have been insulted, but he'd have been surprised. Closure to 90, I'd say. He knew the market price to the penny, but understood there would also negotiate. Took out his negotiating cigar, lit it, and got to work. The first fat drops of rain began to fall as he motored, motored toward home. Figured he'd, get, he'd gotten a far price for his crabs, his 87 bushels of crabs. The rest of the summer was so good he was going to consider dropping another 100 pots next year maybe hiring on a part-time crew. Orstring on the bay wasn't what it had been, not since parasites had killed off so many. That made the winters hard. A few other crabbing seasons were what he needed to dump the lion's share of the profits into the business and to help pay the lawyer's fees. His mouth tightened at that thought as he rode out the swells toward home. They shouldn't need a damn lawyer. They shouldn't have to pay some slick-suited talker to clear their father's good name wouldn't stop the whispers around town anyway. Those would only stop if people found something juicier to chew on than Ray Quinn's life and death. And the boy, he's amused, staring at him for the water, trembled under the steady fountain of rain. There were some who would like to whisper about the boy. He looked back at them with Ray Quinn's dark blue eyes. He didn't mind for himself. As far as Ethan was concerned, people could wag their tongues about him until they fell out of their flapping mouths. But he minded deeply that anyone would speak a dark word about the man he loved with every beat of his heart. So he would work his fingers numb to pay the lawyer, and he would do whatever it took to guard the child. Thunder shook the sky, booming off the water like cannon fire. The light was dim as dusk, and those dark clouds burst wide to pour out solid sheets of rain. Still, he didn't hurry as he docked at his home pier. A little more wet to his mind would kill him. As if in agreement with the sentiment, Simon leaped out to swim to shore while Ethan secured the lines, gathered up his lunch pail, and with his waterman's boots, walked him wetly against the dock, headed for home. He removed the boots on the back porch. His mother had scalded his skin often enough in his youth about tracking mud with a habit to stick to the... To the man, still he didn't think anything of wet, wet dog nose in the door ahead of him. Till he saw the gleam of the floor and counter, shit was all he could think. As he studied the hall prints and heard Simon's happy bark of greeting, there was a squall, more barking than that. You're soaking wet. The female voice was low and smooth and amused. It was also awesome, very firm and made easy once we get out, out, Simon, out to go. Just dry off on the front porch. There was another squeal, baby giggles, and the company laughter of a young boy. The gang's all here, he did thought, rubbing the rein from his hair. When he heard footsteps heading in his direction, he made a beeline for the broom closet and mop. He didn't often move fast, but he could when he had to. Oh, Ethan, Grace Monroe stood with her hands with her narrow hips, looking from him to the paw prints, where just left me. I'll get it, sorry. He <laughs> could see that the mop was still damp in the side of his it, bed. It's not it directly, I wasn't thinking. He muttered from thrown a bucket and said, didn't know you were coming by today. Oh, so you let wet dogs run through the house and dirty up the floors when I'm not coming by? He <laughs> jerked sure. Well, it was dirty when I left this morning and didn't figure a little wet would hurt it any. <laughs> then he relaxed a little. It always seemed to take him a few minutes to relax around Grace these days. What if? I'd known you he were here to skin me over it. I'd have left him on the porch. <laughs> he was grinning when he turned, and she let out a sigh. Ah, oh, give me the mop. I'll do it. <laughs> nope, my dog, my mess. I heard Aubrey. Absently, Grace leaned on the door jamb. She was tired, but that wasn't unusual. She had put in eight hours that day, too, and she would put in another for a shiny's pub that night serving drinks. Some nights, when she called into the bed, she would have sworn she heard her feet crying. Seth's minding her for me. I had to switch my days. Mrs. Leanley called this morning and asked if I'd shift during her house till tomorrow because her mother-in-law called her from D.C. and invited herself down to dinner. Mrs. Leanley claims her mother-in-law is a woman who looks at a speck of thirst like it's a sin against God and man. I didn't think you'd mind if I did y'all today instead of tomorrow fit in whenever you can manage it grace and we're grateful he was watching her from under his lashes as a mock he always thought she was pretty thin like a palmetto all gold and long legs she chopped her hair off sort of as a boy's but he liked the way it sat on her head like a shiny cap with fringes she was as thin as one of those million dollar models but he knew Grace's long lean form wasn't for fashion she'd been a gangly skinny kid as he recalled. She'd have been about seven or eight when he first come to St. Chris and the Quins. He suppose she was twenty-couple now, and skinny wasn't exactly the word for her anymore. She was a willow slip, he thought, very nearly flushing. She smiled at him, and her mermaid green eyes warm, faint dimples, flirting in her cheeks. The reason she couldn't name, she found it entertaining to see such a healthy male specimen willed him up. Did you have a good day, Ethan? Good enough. He did a thorough job of the floor. He was a thorough man. Then he went to the sink again to rinse bucket him mop. So the mess grabs to your daddy. At the mention of her father, Grace's smiled then a little. There was distance between them. It had been since she became pregnant with Aubrey and had married Jack Cassie, a man her father had called the No Account Grease Monkey from Upstate. Her father had turned out to be right about Jack. Lena left her high and dry a month before Aubrey was born. He'd taken her savings, her car, and most of her self-respect with him. But she'd gotten through it, Grace reminded herself, and she was doing just fine. She'd keep right on doing fine on her own. Without a single penny from her family, she had to work herself to death to do it. She heard Aubrey laughing again, a long, rolling, gut laugh, and her zip vanished. She had everything that mattered. It's all tied up in a bright-eyed, curly-haired little angel just in the next room. I'll make you have some dinner before I go. Ethan turned back to another look at her. She was getting some sun, and it looked good on her. It warmed her skin. She had a long face that went with a long body, With the chin tended to be stubborn. A man could take a glance, and he would see a long, cool blonde pretty body, a face that made you want to look just a little longer. And if you did, you'd see shadows under the big green eyes and weariness around the soft mouth. You don't have to do that, Grace. You gotta go home and relax a while. You're on the shinies tonight, aren't you? I've got time. I promised that's sloppy Joe's. It won't take me long. She, she shifted as Ethan continued to stare at her. She long ago accepted that those long, thoughtful looks from him were stir- would stir her blood just, over, just another of her life's little problems, she spoke. What? She demanded and rubbed a hand over. She was expecting to find something. Nothing. Well, if you're going to cook, you got to hang around and help us eat it. i like that. She relaxed again. Move forward to take the bucket and mop from them and put them away. I agree. Loves being here with you and Seth. Why don't you go on in there with them? I've got some laundry to finish up. Then I'll start going I'll give you a hint. No, you won't. It was another point of pride for her. They paid her. She did the work all of it. Go on in the front room and be sure to ask Seth about the math test he got back today. Yeah. How'd go? Another A? She waked him too deep in a way. Seth had such a sharp brain. She thought as she headed into the laundry room off the kitchen. If she had a better head for figures for practical matters when she'd been younger, she wouldn't have dreamed her way through school. She'd have learned a skill, a real one, not just serving drinks and tending house or picking crabs. She'd have had a career to fall back on when she found herself alone in pregnancy. With all her hopes of running off to New York to be a dancer dashed like glass on brick. It had been a silly dream anyway, she told herself, unloading the dryer and shifting the wet clothes from the washer into it. High in the sky, her mama would say, but the fact was, growing up, there had only been two things she wanted. The dance and Ethan Quinn. she never gotten either, she sighed a little, and the warm, smooth sheet she took from the basket to her teeth, Ethan's sheets. She'd taken it off his bed that day. She'd been able to smell him on it then, and maybe for just a minute or two, she let herself dream a little of what it might have been like if he wanted her, if she had slept with him on those sheets in his house. would dream we didn't get the work done, or pay the rent, or buy the things a little girl needed. Briskly she began to fold the sheets, laying them neatly on the rumpled dryer. There was no shame in earning her keep by cleaning houses or serving drinks. She was good a both. In any case, she was useful and she was needed. That was good enough. She certainly hadn't been useful or needed by the man she was married to so briefly. If they loved each other, really loved each other, it would have been different. For her, it had been a desperate need to belong to someone, not be wanted and desired as a woman. For Jack, Grace shook her head. She honestly didn't know what she had been for Jack. An attraction, she supposed, that had resulted in conception. She knew he believed he'd done the honorable thing by taking her to the courthouse and standing with her in front of the justice of the peace on the chilly fall day and exchanged vows. He had never mistreated her. He had never gotten mean drunk and knocked her around the way she knew some men did wives they didn't want. He didn't go sniffing around other women, at least not. That she knew about, but she'd seen as Aubrey grew inside her. That in her belly rounded, she'd seen the look of panic come into his eyes. Then one day he was simply gone without a word. The worst of it was, Grace thought. Now she'd been relieved. Jack had done anything for her it was to force her to grow up, to take charge. What he'd given her was worth more than the stars. Put the folded laundry in the basket, hitched the basket on her hip, and walked into the front room. There was her treasure, her curly blonde hair. Bouncing a pretty rosy chick, face all lit with joy as she sat on Ethan's lap and babbled at him. That too, Aubrey Monroe, resembled a bosh angel, all rose and glint, with bright green eyes and dimples dim in the cheeks, little kitten teeth and long-fingered hands. Though he could decipher only half the chatter, Ethan nodded soberly. what did foolish do then? He asked as he figured out she was telling him some story about Seth's puppy. Lick my face, her eyes laughing. She took both hands and ran them up over her cheek. All over it. Granted, she kept her hands on Ethan's face and fell into a game she liked to play with. She giggled over his face against his beard. Oh, but Gage, he skimmed his knuckles over his new cheek and jerked his hand up. Ouch! You got one too. No, you! No, he pulled her close, planted noisy kisses on her cheeks while she wriggled into to let you. Screaming with laughter now, she wiggled away and died for the boy, sprawling the floor. Seth, beard, she covered his cheeks with sloppy kisses, manhood demanding him to win. Jeez, uh, give me a break, the distractor, he picked up one of her toy cars and ran it lightly down on your track. <laughs> her eyes beamed with the thrill of the new game. Snatching the car, she ran. It. Not quite so gently, but running ponder that she could reach. Even older he, he started to pout. He told Seth with Aubrey walked over, Seth's thigh reached his other shoulder. It's better than getting slobbered on, Seth claimed. But his arm came up to keep Aubrey from tumbling to the floor. For a few moments, Guy simply stood and watched. The man relaxed in the big wing chair, grinning down at the children. The children themselves. Their heads close, one delicate and covered with gold curls, the other with a shaggy mop shades and shades deeper. <sighs> the little lost boy, she thought, in her heart, went out to him as it had from the first day she'd seen him. He'd found his way home. Her precious girl, when Aubrey had been only a flutter in her womb, Grace had promised to cherish, to protect, and to do enjoy her. She would always have a home. The man who had once been a lost boy who had slipped into her girlish dreams years before and had never really slipped out again, he had made a home. The rain drummed on the roof, the television was low, unimportant murmur. A dog slept on the front porch, and the moist wind blew through the screen door. She yearned, or she knew she had no business yearning, set down a basket of laundry to go over and climb into Ethan's lap, be welcome there, even expected there to close her eyes just a little while and be part of it all. Instead, she retreated, finding herself unable to step into that quiet, lazy ease. She went back to the kitchen, where the overhead lights were bright and just a little hard. There, she set the basket on the table and began to gather what she needed to make dinner. And Ethan came in a few minutes later to hunt up a beer. She had meat browning, potatoes frying, and peanut oil and a salad on the way. Smells great. He said awkwardly for a minute, yeah. Wasn't used to having someone cook for him, not for years, and then not a woman. His father had been at home in the kitchen, but his mother, they always joked that whenever she cooked, they needed all her medical skills to survive the meal. It'll be ready in a half an hour or so. I hope you don't mind eating early. I've got to get Aubrey home and bath and then change for work. I never mind eating, especially when I'm not doing the cooking. The fact is, I want to get to the boatyard for a couple hours tonight. Oh, she looked back, low in her age. You should have told me. I've heard things up. This pace works for me. He took a pull from the bottle. You want a drink or something? No, I'm fine. I was going to start the salad dressing Philip made up. looks so much prettier than the store bought. The rain was letting up, petering out into slow, drizzling drops with watery sunlight, struggling. struggling to break through. Grace glanced store the window. She was always hoping to see a rain. Anna's flowers adorn well. She coming. The rain's good for them. Saves me from dragging out the hose. She'd have my head if they die on her while she's gone. Wouldn't blame her. She worked so hard getting them planted before the wedding. Grace worked quietly, complaining as she spoke, drinking crisp potatoes, adding more to the on it. it was such a beautiful wedding. She went on as she mixed sauce for the meat and Came off all right. We got lucky with the weather. Oh, it couldn't have rained that day. It would have been a sin. You could see it all over again so clearly the green of the grass in the backyard the sparkling of water the flowers anna had planted glowing with color and the ones she watched spilling out of pots and bowls and alongside the white runner that bride had walked down to meet her groom a white dress bellowing the thin veil only accumulating the dark delirious happy eyes Chairs have been filled with friends and family. Anna's grandparents have both wept, and Cam, Ruth, and tumble. Cameron Quinn looked as bright as if he'd just been given the keys to heaven. Backyard wedding, Grace thought now. Sweet, simple, romantic, and perfect. She's the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. Grace said it with a sigh that was only lightly touched with envy. So dark and exotic. She suits Cam. They look like movie stoves, all polished and glossy. She smiled to herself as she stirred spicy sauce into the me. meat. <sighs> when you and Philip played that waltz for their first dance, it was the most romantic thing I've ever seen. She sighed again as she finished putting this out of the And now they're in Rome. I can hardly imagine it. They called yesterday morning to catch me before I left. They said they're having a good time. She laughed at that. A rippling smoking sound that seemed to cruise along its skin. Honeymooning in Rome. Honeymooning in Rome. it will be hard not to. She started to scoop out more potatoes and swore lightly as one popped and splattered on the side of her hand. Damn! Even as she was lifting, the slight burn to her mouth to see that Ethan leaped forward and grabbed her hand. Did he get you? He saw the pinnering, pinkering, pinking skin and pulled it to the- Run some cold water on it. It's nothing, it's just a little burn it happens all the time. It wouldn't if you were more careful. His brows were knitted, his hand gripping her fingers firmly to keep her hand on the well, Doesn't hurt. No, she couldn't feel anything, but his hand on her fingers was her own heart thundering in her chest. Knowing she'd make a fool of herself any moment, she tried to pull It's nothing, Ethan, don't fuss. You need some shave on it. He started to reach up into the cupboard to find something. His head lifted, eyes met hers. He stood there, the water running, both their hands trapped under the chilly fall of it. Tried never to stay quite so close to her not so close that he could see those little bold dust flecks in her eyes, because he would start to think about them, wonder about them. Then he'd have to remind himself that this was Grace, the girl really he watched grow up. The woman who was his mother. The neighbor considered him a trusted friend. You need to take better care of yourself. His voice was rough as the words worked their way through her throat that had gone dust dry. She smelled lemons. I'm fine. She was dying. Somewhere between giddy and pleasure and utter despair, he was holding her hands as if it was as fragile as a spun glass. And he was frowning at her as if she were slightly less sensible than her two year old daughter. The potatoes are going to burn, Ethan. Oh well, mortified because he'd been thinking just for a second that her mouth might taste as soft as it looked. He jerked back, fumbling now for the tub of salve. His heart was jumping, and he hated the sensation. He feared things calm and easy. Preferred things calm and easy. Put some of this on it anyway. He laid it on the counter. Back. I'll get the kids washed up for dinner. He scooped up the laundry basket on his way and was gone. With deliberate movements, Grace shut the water off and turned and rescued the fries. Satisfied with the progress of the mill, she picked up the salve and smoothed a little on the reddening spot on her hand, portinally replacing the tube in the cupboard. Then she leaned on the sink, looked out the window, but she couldn't find a rainbow in the sky. End of chapter one.